Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he mixed up his reconfigure cost and his crew cost, so his vehicles accidentally became equipment. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey, if I seem a little distracted this episode, um, a spider crawled into my keyboard, uh, but don't worry, I have it under control. (laughs) Uh, I am... Sad to hear that, but I'm glad to hear that. If that makes any sense, <laughs> I mean, I, I like I said, it, it it's fine. Um, I'll just keep some tabs on it. There you go. Uh, make sure it doesn't uh, go onto the web uh, while it's messing with your. No, computer. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it more. I'm gonna give it more space than that. There you go. Up next, he tried to change the channel, which, you know, is to say that he actually swapped his blue rare Kamigawa land for the green one instead. That's Dana Roach. Uh, what do you call a noodle in disguise? Um, an impasta? Joey, it's a false silly. <laughs> a what? Uh, you know, rig, rig to Tony would have worked as well. That also would have got there, yes. I feel like I'm almost catching up with you guys in your dad jokes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think... have multiple answers, so no matter what you pick, we can... We can when you go left, we can go right. That's true. Uh, yeah. I, we, we, we really can shift the conversation. Hey, well done, Matt. Well done. And listeners, if you're still with us, we appreciate you so much. Thanks for bearing with us. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. And of course, tell some really bad dad jokes while we're at it. Hey, Dana, what is it that we're talking about in this week? week's episode. We are going to be talking about uh, unexpected benefits and unusual synergies in in cards that we play in Commander. Yeah, this was a fun topic idea that you would put forward, and it's kind of a, a counterintuitive one, and it's some of those things that you kind of only discover while you're actually playing, but they're, I guess my version of this episode is kind of calling it the, wait, these cards can do what now kind of episode, where there actually are some secret things that your deck can pull off in ways that almost feel like you need to do something that wouldn't be good for you in order to make them actually kind of amazing. There are some cool synergies that we're going to talk about in our personal experiences and just some favorite cards out there. It should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we get into our main topic, let's pause and thank Josh LeQuay and the folks at the Command Zone for their handling of the post-production work on the podcast, making it look as spiffy as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. 
Yeah, the EDH RecCast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, uh, two online retailers that put the neon in Neon Dynasty. Yo! <laughs> Not sure if that makes sense, but I'm going to like act confident and pretend it does. <laughs> I like Just it. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question. Choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast, where there truly is no escape from all the dad jokes. <laughs> Uh, we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the amazing Discord community that we have going on there. You want to see all the historic challenger stats, maybe even peep all the new episodes a day early. There's all that and more. It's just a great way to support the show and get yourself a few perks on the side. You can do all this and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And we even have that special tier where, just for signing up, we give a very special shout-out every single week. So this week, the special shout-out is going over to Adam Fraz. So thank you, Adam, so much. And I hope I didn't butcher your name too much, but we appreciate the support either way. Thank you so much, Adam. That's a cool last name. I like that. All right, fellas, let's get into our topic. We are talking about some cards with unexpected benefits, unusual synergies, basically stuff that were <laughs> that you accidentally kind of stumble into these synergies. You put a card into your deck with one specific attention, but then when you're actually playing, it can actually pull off something that you fully didn't intend for it to be able to do. And this is kind of a, a fun topic that Dana, you had thrown forward. So hop right to an example for us. What is an example of an unusual synergy that makes you go, wait, this card can do what for me? Take it away, my dude. Um, the first one that kind of pops up to me that, that I've used on more than one occasion is Arcane Denial. Um, I like Arcane Denial in general as a counter spell. It's it's one in a blue counter target spell, and the person whose spell you countered draws two cards at the next upkeep, and you draw one. So number mm -hmm. one, it replaces itself against you a card. Um, it's relatively easy to cast in a deck that has more than just one or two colors. So if you're playing like a three or four or five color deck where double blue is sometimes a big ask, it's pretty easy to, it's much easier than other spells to cast, I should say. Um, and unlike, you know, say negate, it hits everything. It's just a hard counter. Um, so there's a lot of things about Arcane Denial to like, despite the fact that you're giving your opponents two cards. The thing I really like about it is you can technically use it to counter your own spell. <laughs> That's not necessarily an ideal cast or an ideal play sometimes, but sometimes it is. Sometimes you just have extra cards in hand, for example, and like, I just need something badly and I really don't need this, you know, removal spell right now. So I'm going to cast it before the end of someone's turn and then counter it on our own RNK denial and draw three cards next upkeep. Um, or where I've really used it on more than one occasion is when I've had like a swarm intelligence or a double vision out cards that oh. copy a spell you cast and I go to counter someone else's spell, those will make a counter of my counter spell that's redundant. I'll just hit that with arcane denial and functionally turn arcane denial into a two mana draw three. Um, so the ability to use it on your own stuff in multiple circumstances makes it a really, really useful spell in addition to the fact that it's already a very good counter spell. That is really interesting. Matt, have you had any experience playing around this? This is, I think, sometimes a trick that folks pull off in legacy or older formats, and I think that's something that you maybe have experience with. But then again, I am actually asking you if you've ever cast Counterspell, so I immediately regret uh, regret asking my question. I mean, I want to ask you, like, who in legacy is casting Arcane Denial? Because I don't think anybody casts, like, that's quite the Arcane spell to be casting in legacy, <laughs> even. 
Um, but no, I, I've seen people pulling this off, uh, and maybe even if somebody's trying to counter their spell, so instead they counter their own spell, that way they're at least getting everything out because it's going to get countered anyway. So instead of countering something like their spell that you don't really need to resolve, you can counter right. your own spell again, and then you still get to draw those three cards like Dana was talking about. So there's a lot of fun play around it. Uh, I don't think I've put it into a spell, even though like I, I have some of the, the original printings laying around that... I wish I could find a space for, but I just, I haven't. Yeah, the the protection on your own thing that is going to get countered is also really, really cool. So that's a really great example. And also, I, I think Arcane Denial is actually the state that I am in because I haven't yet seen Arcane <laughs> yet on Netflix. But that's a thing I, I really got to get. I need to get out of Arcane Denial. That's a. I, uh, I'm waiting for Matt to laugh at my joke, but it's never going to happen. I, okay. I, I, I would agree with you, Joey, but then we both would be wrong. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to move on to another example. And I think it's actually kind of the case that there are several different removal spells that we could lodge into this topic. So one that has sometimes come up, for example, is the card Path to Exile, specifically in the context of Feather the Redeemed decks. So Feather the Redeemed is that amazing angel commander who will get your spells back to your hand if they're targeting one of your own things. And Feather often uses cards like Young Pyromancer to make a whole bunch of tokens. And it's really, really cool. And since the Young Pyromancer will make tokens every Every time that you're casting one of those instants, then you're going to go, you know, get just a bunch of them. But you could save that path to exile in your hand as a removal spell for someone else's big beefy creature across the field that you got to protect yourself from. But then sometimes that path to exile can actually become a ramp piece for Feather when you are making tokens with something like a young Pyromancer. You use them on your own elemental tokens and then you're getting lands yourself. So that is one of those removal spells that you can actually turn into an amazing synergy for yourself. And that isn't an intended thing all of the time. Sometimes that's something that you just don't even realize your deck is actually super set up to do, but it's a really sweet synergy when you can pull it off. Yeah, it's one It's one of those things, I, I think you don't want to necessarily use it um, as a ramp spell in most decks um, that aren't Feather. Um, you don't want to plan on that, but like, there's plenty of times where I've, particularly in a token deck or something, had this in hand and also had Swords to Plowshares and also had you know a generous gift or a Putrefy or something. I'm like, okay, well, three removal spells I don't necessarily need, and I'm going to now chump block this you know big creature coming in with this token. Well, the token's dying anyway. Why not turn that Path to Exile into a ramp spell on my own token? Hmm. I still have removal left, and being able to be ramped ahead for the next multiple amounts of turns is going to benefit me more than having a third removal spell in hand. <laughs> um, so I, I do think there's a lot of situations where, you know, you don't want to put it in your deck and like plan it using it as a ramp spell, I don't think. But like, there's a lot of times it just accidentally becomes a decent one. And I, I think a, a spell also that falls into this category of it's great for multiple uses, but then especially if you're playing it in a feather deck and you're able to recur a lot. Oblation is a card that I think a lot of folks have kind of hmm. forgotten about. It's a very, very old spell, but it's just a great way to gather, uh, draw a bunch of cards. If you're playing with Young Pyromancer in a feather deck, um, target one of your tokens, draw a couple cards, the token goes away, but you replace the token and you get Oblation back in your hand. It's just a great way to just churn through your deck, get a lot of value built up. But even then, it, yes, it's a very flexible removal spell. You can use it very politically. Like, okay, um, will you t get rid of this meaningless creature of mine just so I can draw the two cards and like I won't attack you next turn? Um, it's a good way to garner some favor with people, but also it's just a flexible removal spell. Uh, it's not always optimal. You probably want to be looking at a specific deck for it, but there are going to be definitely situations that it's going to be an all-star. 
Right. I've literally seen Dana, you have used Oblation, you know, that three mana white instant owner of target online permanent shuffles it into library draws two cards. Dana, I've literally seen you use that on one of your own spare tokens because you're just like, eh, you know, whatever. I'm, these are, they're going away to a wrath anyway. I might as well draw cards out of it because what else am I going to remove? Someone just wrathed the board. So this removal spell, I'll turn it into different cards for now. I don't even like the, the decks where I run Oblation. I think I have it in two different decks, both which have a lot of tokens. I don't even think of it as a removal spell i think of it as a <laughs> it's, it's like it's a costly plunder basically in white is how i think of it mm-hmm. that, oca- that occasionally in an emergency i can use to remove something that might cost me the game so it's it's a draw spell for me in those particular decks first and foremost that just so happens to be a removal spell as opposed to the the opposite which is i think how most people see it that is That's interesting. I kind of like that. See, this is why I like this topic that you brought up so much, because this is sort of retraining our brain. Like, we have so many neural pathways in magic where we make a bunch of mental shortcuts, a whole bunch of heuristics, and this is easily one of them where we can look at a card and assume that we know exactly what's going on with it. And this is very much a case where the way that you view that card is very different than the way that I view that card. Uh, It's it's so interesting. You literally view it as a draw spell more than a removal spell. Mm -hmm fascinating my dude I'm, I'm, I'm all about it I, I can totally see why now that you've described it especially with the relation to the other the costly plunder uh, thing that you mentioned that is a great comparison to make for that very fascinating cool well you know on a similar tip here um in the the card that kind of prompted this this topic in the first place was access denied that we just got in neon dynasty oh. um it's a counter spell that creates X thopter tokens where where X is the the CMC the spell you countered. Um, I, I saw people talking about that card and talking about it being a bad counter spell because it's so expensive. It is a bad counter spell, but it's a really good thopter maker that also counters someone's spell. I think if if you come at it from the other end and think of it as I'm playing a token deck or I'm playing a deck with flyers or a deck that that cares about having multiple artifacts in play. Um, it's a very good token maker that makes tokens that are useful for you um, in that certain kind of deck. And it also eats someone's spell at the same time. Like you can usually draw that card, look around the table and be like, okay, someone's going to cast something and I'm going to stop it and make a bunch of thopters. That's almost always a good deal. Whereas if you look at it as a counter spell that you're going to need to, to, to solve a problem, it feels very bad. But if you come at it from the other end, I think it feels way better. Another card that fits the same bill, I think, is Overwhelming Intellect, where you draw cards equal to the spell CMC. Again, I think it's a bad counter spell. Um, in it, it, it's it's creatures only, but it's a pretty good draw spell because there's <laughs> plenty of times when you can look around and say, okay, everyone's going to be on four or five mana next turn, and there's two commanders that fit that CMC. Odds are someone's casting a creature spell. I'm going to stop it and draw four cards. That that's fantastic value. If you're hoping it's going to save you from a creature, that feels bad, um, having to keep that much mana up. But if you're looking at it as an instant speed draw spell that hits someone's tempo, that's a way better card. So I think those are two that also really help if you come at them from the other direction. I I think a really good one, and I was waiting for you to say overwhelming intellect, but I'm glad you hit it. Um, (laughs) But also in this category, spell swindle, if you just need to make a bunch of treasure tokens, that's a fantastic way to do that. You should get a, a massive board state of, oh man, look at all these treasures I have. Like eventually becomes if you're hitting big enough spells 
it's a counterspell with a ritual attached to it, which is right. absolutely yeah. crazy. Very, very much. Like, can you imagine some of those, like the access denied that you just described there, like that in an Essex Fractal Bloom deck, for example, uh, making just a bazillion tokens or Adrix and Nev twin casters, also just bazillions upon bazillions of tokens. There are so many synergies that you can pull off. And the fact that it's five mana, yeah, sure, it's a little bit clunky, but the fact that it makes you so many tokens that all of your various token doublers are going to completely manipulate, it's going to be so crazy. My uh, my mom's Kangi Flying Command that gives all of your flying creatures plus two plus oh like that's another that makes just a huge army that's going to completely tear the entire game down like yeah dana the way that i've seen you use some spells like these like the overwhelming intellect like it is so demoralizing for you to counter my commander and then draw like four or five cards as a result out of it but like you're taking a risk on playing them but you're also viewing the card in exactly the right light to make sure that that opportunity can even happen in the first place yeah, you know, that's a good point. I mean, like you are taking a risk, but I think when you view them from the other end is where it's much easier to mitigate that risk than it is if you're looking at it as a counter spell you're going to need to to stop from losing the game, for example. So I think that that's that's very helpful to come at it from the other direction. Mm -hmm. Speaking of some newer cards, there's also an interesting one from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty that I think could also fit the bill here, and that's March of Swirling Mist. Uh, I want to—I'm I'm curious if you guys uh, have good thoughts or bad thoughts about this one. Uh, what you think? But I think it might fit into our topic here. So this one's X and a blue for an instant that says up to X target creatures will phase out, and this is a very interesting piece of text. I think because of cards like Teferi's Protection or Guardian of Faith from the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, we're probably used to seeing the phrase phase out as a purely defensive thing that will protect our creatures and even our creature tokens from being hit by wrath effects, for example. But March of Swirling Mists is pretty interesting because it doesn't specifically just say X target creatures you control phase out. So I think this is a card that you could actually stumble across some synergies where you can actually use this as an offensive card, not as a defensive card. You can have someone else's creatures phase out so that you can get through unblocked, or you could even use it to save other people's creatures for a political deal, or you could use it to get rid of other people's creatures because an opponent is going to be attacking that person. Like, this is an extremely political card that I think looks defensive at first, but actually has a lot of really sinister capabilities. Not only political, I think it just feels very toolboxy. Um, you know, the Avacyn player goes to board wipe, um, knowing their stuff is safe. You just phase out that Avacyn. <gasps> that, that way, they no longer what? are protected from that board wipe. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're afraid someone's going to grave pack a bunch of things with a butcher of Malakir or something, um, you phase out the butcher, or you phase out the the sack outlet they were going to use and force them to do something <laughs> before you play the crater hoof that you're going to use to swing in for lethal. Um, it, it, there, there's a lot of kind of toolbox things you can do with this kind of card for sure. Yeah, more more often than not, you know, your opponents may not have a whole lot of flying blockers. So using this, you know, at the end step, get rid of the flying blockers, untap and and move in. Uh, this might have a pretty good home in like your your mom's Kangi deck, for example, Joey. Um, mm -hmm. But then also, yeah, using it offensively. Um, say somebody on twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast has a <laughs> Sir Conrad in play and then casts Living End, for example. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Sir Conrad triggers. So, you know. March of Swirling Mist onto Sir Conrad, have him phase out so that all those triggers don't happen. That's a great way to be offensive, defensive. There's all sorts of different applications to this. So 
Um, admitting, like, I kind of missed this card. Uh, I saw the cycle is kind of eh, not not super excited, a little lukewarm about it. Uh, <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about it, now that we have this conversation going, there is probably going to be a situation every game where even hitting one key creature and having it phase out just for a turn probably is going to be fairly impactful. Matt, I really love those examples. But also, Matt, I really hate the combat example that you gave. Leave my combat alone, please. You, Thank you. you. Okay, you've always said, leave your graveyard alone. I'm leaving alone in this example. <laughs> Good point. I'm just, do, I'm just doing what you want me to do. I, it's what, true. All I've ever done it's is true. care, Joey. <laughs> well, so here, actually, speaking of Sir Conrad and speaking of leaving the graveyard alone, I'm going to pull a, uh, a an Uno reverse card on you guys because I actually have an example that I it, it's oh, it it's almost feels uh, gross to admit this, but there are times where I have intentionally exiled my own graveyard and it's because of that Sir Conrad situation going yep. on there. Yep. So like Bajuka Bog exiling target player's graveyard, that is usually just a thing that I'm going to use on someone else to like police the Muldrotha player over there, make sure that they're not going, you know, too crazy, too out of control over there but also I, I cannot resist the delight that comes from using a bajuka bog targeting yourself because you have a sir conrad in play and he will also deal damage whenever creatures leave your graveyard yep. bajuka bog is sometimes a win condition in my sir conrad deck and it is the most beautiful and janky thing whenever it happens that's not why i put that card there that card is to help keep other graveyard players in check but sometimes it's actually like oh, it, it's sometimes a card that i will use as a win condition and that's that's just so vicious and beautiful I, I i love it too much even though it is weird to exile my own graveyard i'm, I'm happy for you <laughs> <laughs> um two of my favorite kind of multi-use spells are de-glamour and unravel the aether um and i'm sure i've talked about them before because i i adore both of these these cards it's one to green and basically you shuffle an artifact or enchantment into its controller's library that's it. So it's, it's, you know, the same cost as a naturalize, instant speed, but instead of putting it in the graveyard, it puts the, the artifact or enchantment into its owner's library. Mm. Um, number one, I think they're, they're better than naturalize effects because I think that first they hit indestructible targets. Um, they, they don't generate graveyard triggers. So like if you hit a worm coil engine, it's just gone. It doesn't leave behind two small worm coils mm. and things tend to be much harder to recur from the library than they are from the graveyard. So I think in general, they're both really good spells, but there is a lot of hidden utility there. For one, they are a fantastic way to just hose someone's top of the deck tutor. When someone does their vamp tutor, you know, before the end of your turn, I'm going to vamp tutor and you just like, okay, go get your thing. Wait till it resolves. Oh, I'm going to de-glamour literally any artifact or enchantment they have just to basically waste the tutor effect. <laughs> yes. And the even dumber use I've, I've used these for on at least one occasion was when I was milled out and the mill player thought I was dead on my turn due to having no library. I was able to buy a turn by declamoring one of my own artifacts back into my non-existent library just to buy a turn. That is amazing, Dana. Did, did it work? Now I, I I still think I lost I, I think I lost anyway, but like Dang it. you know it, that's something you can do. Like there are tricks that that those kind of cards enable, and then that's one I was able to pull off just to buy a turn. 
I've actually, do y'all remember in the original Commander 2011 pre-constructed decks, they had the card Spell Crumple? Yes. So mm -hmm. th this used to be famous back when the tough yes. rule was a thing. Yep. But three mana instant counter a spell. If that spell is countered this way, put it on the bottom of the uh, its owner's library instead of into its graveyard. And then you also put Spell Crumple on the bottom of its owner's library. I did, in fact, play a game with a person where their library was empty. They were milled completely, but then they cast a spell spell crumpled their own spell and then they had two cards in their deck and they just kept on doing that turn after turn after turn after turn to make sure that they never drew themselves out they didn't get any new game pieces but they didn't die either and that was a very fascinating thing to to watch happen in yeah. front of me because what is going on it's wild i mean that used to be like the entire win condition for gaia's blessing back in in you know old 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 timey magic um, where you just yeah you keep shuffling uh, just a few cards not enough but a few cards in your library and you just wait that's all you have to do <laughs> you just wait you just wait <laughs> haven't there also been some decks where like the win condition is literally like elixir of immortality isn't that that, thing that, that happened yeah. in, in standard at once upon a time the, just that, can't those, lose your library wait for your opponent to draw out or something those were the days man those were the days <laughs> <laughs> that's that's weird um but i i will hearken another card that i see a lot of people really excited and it's not the same reason that I'm very excited for. Uh, Swift Reconfiguration is a card that I first saw it and I thought, holy cow, man, this is a nutty card. Uh, I'm very excited for it because, yeah, this is just a better Darksteel Mutation. And that's one of my favorite removal spells, just getting something <laughs> off the board. Um, but then people were like, oh, you can break this card, actually, which... It happens. So for those of you not in the know, Swift Reconfiguration is the new, one of the new cards from the Neon Dynasty Commander set. Uh, it's just a simple one white mana for an aura that says that has flash and it enchants a creature or a vehicle. And then Enchanted Permanent is a vehicle artifact with crew five and loses all other card types. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I'm looking at it face value. It's a great way, just one mana to basically lock down somebody else's big beater, get rid of the problem card because it turns into a vehicle, it's no longer a creature until they have to crew it again. But if something's attacking you, you can take it out of combat. There's a lot of great plays around that because it has flash. Mm -hmm. Turns out though, because it only loses the creature types, it retains all of its abilities. So folks are now putting this onto say a devoted druid, which I can admire devoted druid combos. <laughs> I've won many a 60 card game with that combo. But what happens with Devoted Druid, for example, is because it just loses its creature abilities, but it keeps all of its other abilities, so you can still tap it for a green mana. And more importantly, you can put a minus one, minus one counter onto it to untap it. So you can make infinite mana with a Devoted Druid and this on there because A, it loses hexproof, or not, excuse me, not hexproof, loses summoning sickness potentially because it's no longer a creature, but also, it isn't a creature anymore, so you can put as many minus one, minus one counters onto it because you're never making it a creature again. So you're able to make infinite mana with this. Um, a lot of folks got very, very excited about this during preview season. Made it go from a card that I thought was going to be fairly affordable to it's a 10-ish dollar card now. So um, Is it? Wow. Turns out people want it. I mean, gamers going to game. If there's something to be broken, people are going to break it. <laughs> well, yeah, this is such a fascinating one. I do like the, uh, I suppose it's a defensive capability if someone's like coming at you with a huge, big Voltron creature. This is an instant speed way to be like, ah, no, that thing's going to need crew five for the rest of the game now. Mm -hmm. And, there, you know, your big commander damage win condition ain't going to work against me anymore. And that is mainly the way that I, you know, when I first saw it, that is mainly the way that I, that I was thinking of it. Um, there's also potentially 
the case. I think there is that new uh, that new mech creature from the Azorius precons as well. Um, Shikori, uh, Shorikai, excuse me, Shorikai Genesis engine, which is an 8-8 vehicle that has a crew cost of 8. But you could actually, if you wanted to, throw this onto that creature to make it a crew cost of 5 instead, which could be worthwhile. But really the thing that has honestly been impressing me most with this card is that Matt, just like, uh, as you said, is putting it onto one of your own creatures, specifically because it will retain its own text. So if you just care about your commander's abilities and not their, you know, actual damage or combat-based effects or their status as a blocker or as an attacker, you can actually just go ahead and put this onto one of your most valuable creatures, an Oracle of Moldaya, that kind of thing, and you'll just have that text there for the rest of the game, put it onto your own Sithis Harvest's hand, and then you've just got a creature that is not a creature anymore, so it's a lot harder to kill, and it's an enchantment that you just cast, so you'll draw a bunch of cards too. Like, that is some really interesting, fascinating gameplay that you can pull off there that I don't think initially strikes you when you first read that card, but man, there are some really spicy applications there. Yeah, I, I was very excited to get my hands on quite a few copies of this card, um, and it's going to be much, much harder because the, the flexibility, I, I definitely underrated on this. Yeah, these are some really wild synergies and some very unexpected cool twists, little things that are totally going to make me say, wait, that card's doing what now? Like, I didn't know it could do that. Like, those things are so fun to discover. And we've got a few others that we want to get to because there are, in fact, so many of those cool synergies. But, fellas, how about real quick, we actually put that topic on pause for Challenge the Stats. It's one of our favorite segments on the podcast because there's so much data on EDA Trek, but, you know, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes to think that cards see too much or too little play, so we love to challenge those stats. Matt, how about you start us off this week? What's your challenge? So my challenge isn't so much a specific deck or strategy, but it's going to be for a specific commander, as in all iterations of that commander. Uh, so Omnath, the legendary jelly bean, or, or whatever form you want to take, <laughs> uh, we, have now, we now have four different versions of Omnath, and I'm going to challenge something for all of them, because they all have one fairly common theme, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so in all your versions of Omnath, maybe Sans, the, the, the mono green one, because it's a little harder to do this, but I'm looking at all the average decks for Omnath, Locus of Rage, Omnath, Locus of the Royal, and Locus of Creation. So we're looking at the red, green, the red, green, blue, and then the red, green, blue, white versions. They're all playing a decent amount of mana rocks, and I just don't think that's accurate anymore. Mm. All of them absolutely love having just a ton of... Of, of lands in play because they all have some sort of landfall ability on, on them. So seeing people playing Chromatic Lantern in 15% of Omnath Locus of Creation decks, um, uh. I just can't get behind that. I There's just so many different mana rocks. The Omnath Locus of Rage, apparently 15% of people are playing the Gruel Signet, and I just think in a deck that just wants as many landfall triggers as possible, you have Farseek, you have Rampant Growth, you have all sorts of two-mana actually land ramp spells. I think that's where you want to focus your attention because especially if you're not drawing them on turn two, which is not terribly reliable in Commander, just being a singleton format, I think you're going to value those lands on turns five, six, seven so much more than you are top decking a mana crypt. I think you're going to want to focus on a lot of those land ramp spells. And so seeing 40% of people putting Arcane Signet into Omnath Locus of Creation decks, Ooh. I don't really support that. I, I would encourage folks, most of them are fairly budget, like get, just get your rampant growths and put those into the decks first because they're going to be feeding the strategy in addition to getting you all those lands. Uh, I don't think that 
mana ramp coming in the form of an artifact is really what you want to be doing. So maybe look to tune down those mana rocks, tune up that two mana ramp spell. Matt, I'm so, so on board with this. That is like, yeah, I'm looking through some of the other uh, Omnath pages right now, and you're totally right. There are like 20% of players playing this mana rock and then 15% playing this and 40% playing some of the, like, yeah, no, you're you're definitely onto a good one here because you want a ramp spell that's going to get you lands. These commanders care about having lands. And if if nothing else, put lands into those card slots instead of the mana rocks. Yeah, these, yeah. these commanders need lands. So. Yeah, the, the, the nice part about a, a turn eight Rampant growth instead of a turn eight Gruel Signet in Omnath Locus of Rage is that rampant growth is at least a 5 5. And if you're doing <laughs> right. well, it'll draw you a card and it'll do other things that you're already doing in the deck, whereas the Gruel Signet is just a Gruel Signet. And yeah. the, the whole deck is built around not everything is just a land. And not only that, but like looking through the average deck data for a bunch of these commanders, they're playing under 40 lands, which is a, a number that we've each said before that like... Already risky. If you're playing Landfall, yeah, you should play probably like around 40, if not more than 40, because lands are also your rewards. Matt, I love this challenge. You're, yeah, this is a really great one. Don't put Mana Rocks into a Landfall deck. Put lands into a Landfall deck or ramp spells that find lands into a Landfall deck. That's just going to be so much better for you. Totally love it. Uh, I'm going to move into my challenge now, and this is a pretty weird one that I actually got as inspiration from Murph, Josh Murphy from the Command Zone, who has this very terrific Kelsian the Plague deck, which is the Mardu Human Assassin with Vigilance and Haste, and it gets plus one, plus one for each experience counter you have, and it also can tap to ping a creature, and if that creature dies, then you get an experience counter. Kelsian is a pretty feisty commander there, and one of the things that we noticed in Kelsian's data is that not a lot of people are playing Forbidden Orchard in Kelsian decks. Forbidden Orchard is that land that can tap for any color mana, and then it also gives an opponent a 1-1 spirit token, which isn't all that great. You know, you don't usually want to give your opponents chump blockers or stuff like that. There are some political applications to it, but specifically what Murph is able to do in his Kelsian deck is tap and ping the very spirits that he's giving to his opponents so that Forbidden Orchard is actually giving him any color of mana that he needs and also giving him experience counter to pump up his commander. There are like 1,500 Kelsian decks on EDH Rec right now, and only roughly around like 20-ish percent of them are playing Forbidden Orchard. We did note that this is possibly due to the price of the card because it has been creeping up, so note that for sure. But hey, if you're playing a Kelsian deck and you want to get a bunch of free experience counters, there's a free token generator right there in the mana base that you could be playing that will give you a bunch of extra experience. And um, since I got blown out by this synergy recently, I just wanted to shout it out as a really terrific challenge. Thank you, Murph. Thank you for destroying my face with a wonderful Kelsian synergy. Well, uh, my pick I have here was brought to us by a listener uh, at Golgari Guy, and it's actually hey, great name. Uh, yeah, um, it, it's the enchantment card Overgrowth. It's two and a green for an enchant land. Uh, whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds green green. Um, I think this is currently in about ten thousand decks, but that's a really good rate of return for something you can cast that turn. Worn Power Stone is in more than twice as many decks. Granted, they can go in anything because it's an artifact, but that comes into play tapped. This is this is three mana to, to come into play, and if you, as long as the land you're putting it on is untapped, it's immediately refunding two thirds of the cost. Um, and if you're playing an Enchantress deck, which is where this card is really going to shine, it might draw you one card or two cards or three cards. Mm. Um, 
the other enchant lands that are a little more efficiently cost are things like Wild Growth and Utopia Sprawl see a ton of play. But Overgrowth, as well as Wolf Willow Haven, which is one in a green for an enchant land that only gets you one mana, that's still Signet territory at that point. Those should definitely see more play in Enchantress-style decks with access to green. They're going to draw you cards off enchant off, off your Enchantress effects. They will feed the enchantment count for things like Ethereal Armor or Ancestral Mask or all the glitters. There's just a lot of reasons to run Aura enchantments for ramp in your Enchantress deck. Um, and people do seem to like to run the, the one mana ones, but there's plenty of reasons to run the two mana and the three mana ones as well in those decks. So yeah, Golgari guy, thank you very much. That's a very good suggestion. Sweet stuff. I really like that challenge too. Man, we're on it. I th- this this is fun. Th- these are good challenges. I like doing this segment. It's my favorite part of the show. Thanks everyone. Uh, okay, fellas, let's get back into our main topic again. We're talking about some of those unexpected synergies and some of those things that you might stumble upon. You didn't really intend for these cards to work the way that they do, but there might be actually some fun stuff that you can manipulate with them. Um, and I think going back into uh, this topic again, an example that we probably have to pull out here is the card Tybalt's Trickery. We've talked about a couple of different funky counterspells here, but this is an especially spicy one in red. So Tybalt's Trickery, of course, is two mana red instant, counters a spell, then you choose one, two, or three at random. The, that spell's controller mills that many cards and then exiles from the top of their library until they hit a non-land card with a different name than that spell, and they may cast that card without paying its mana cost, and then those exiled spells will, uh, exiled cards will go back on the bottom of the library in a random order. So a whole bunch of stuff for what is basically a red counterspell. And I've personally been using this as a really terrific way to protect my board in my mono red or my Rakdos decks because I can get a whole bunch of tokens out and I want to be able to attack safely and keep my creatures around. It's been really, really great. But this is also a card that some folks have managed to use to actually cheat out Amazing Eldrazi into play. And Matt, again, you might be able to help me out with the 60 card stuff because this was literally a thing that people were doing in 60 card formats at 1.2 to use Tibble's Trickery on their own spell to flip enormous Eldrazi into play almost like it was a pseudo polymorph like that's a very unexpected but amazing thing to do with this spell yeah I mean it turns out cheating Ulamog and Emrakul <laughs> into play um, it's a good strategy breaking news at seven everybody <laughs> breaking news uh, but yeah it, just being able to flip into anything um, it's kind of like the synergy that we talked about last week with a, a Luna decks we we're able to polymorph and flip into something massive because you're only playing targets that you know you really want to be flipping into mm-hmm. uh, it's the same kind of idea here where uh, you can Tibble's trickery if you're only playing four creatures but all four of those creatures are very very scary um, it's a good way to take over a game yeah that's really spicy Ooh, and actually matt since you had talked about landfall decks in your challenge the stats talk to me about the funny ways that you can sometimes use ghost quarter Uh, how much time do you have that's that's the better question (laughs) i mean the rest of the episode the world's your oyster (laughs) yeah uh i mean just being able to ghost quarter your own things is oftentimes very very valuable um sometimes if i mean most landfall decks are playing something like ramanap excavator or crucible of worlds or anything like that so for one you're able to replay that ghost quarter but then you play the ghost quarter ghost quarter your own land and then just get another land back so yeah being able to do that and it's the fact that it's kind of an instant speed trick too is is sometimes a little underrated. Um, maybe somebody goes to untap and in their upkeep you need to get rid of their uh, their cabal coffers because they're going to make oodles of mana or their guy is cradle whatever they have out there. You're able to a just use ghost quarter as a flexible land removal spell, but then getting extra landfall triggers out of that. Uh, it's definitely something that's that's pretty powerful. 
Yeah, honestly, like using this to hit your own land so that you can go and then find a basic yourself to get a landfall and you can play them back out of the graveyard. Here, tell you what, Matt, since you mentioned don't play the mana rocks in those Omnath decks, replace them with a ghost quarter for your Omnath there, decks. There you That's go. what the official extended challenge should be. If you're playing mana rocks in a landfall deck, don't. Play a ghost quarter instead because you can use it to stop someone else's really vicious land or you can use it to get yourself an extra bonus elemental sometimes. And that is spicy synergy doesn't always come up but the times that it does that could be really really good and trigger a bunch of amazing landfall stuff for yourself i love that duality we're just talking about ghost quarter as a card ten that tends to be used offensively and you can also use it defensively damnable pack kind of comes at it from the other direction it's a card that's supposed to be a draw spell it's black black and x and and you draw x cards and lose x life but it doesn't say you draw X cards and lose X life. It says target player draws X cards <laughs> and loses X life. And where this really shines is in some kind of a big black mana deck where there's going to be plenty of times where you've you know gained life as as black as want to do, and you're fine with spending a bunch of that that mana to you know draw twelve or thirteen cards or something. Mm -hmm. There's also plenty of situations where someone's just at a low enough life total that you can basically fireball them via draw. <laughs> It's a very, very useful card in that you can use it to draw the gas you need or just take someone out of the game. Similarly, Sign in Blood is, is a card, you know, draw two, lose two life. Again, it's target player. And <laughs> I've killed multiple people with Sign, sign in Bloods in the past, and I've died to Sign in Blood in the past. And including yourself, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, fairly recently, I got to kill someone at four life by hitting them with a Sign in Blood. I Narset Reversal the Sign in Blood to copy it, <gasps> bounce it back there to it my is. hand, and then cast Sign in Blood a second time. So I was able to kill someone at four life with double Sign in Blood. What? You know, the odds of that happening are fairly low, but like, <laughs> we, like I said, we've all seen people die to Sign in Blood before. It's a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great little efficient draw spell that can also be used aggressively. And, and I like both those cards a lot. And I think people should pay a little more attention in situations where you can use it just to kill somebody. I mean, Dana, you, you stole my notes from later on the show, so I'm going to talk about it now. But Narset's Reversal is totally one of these cards that you you look at it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it cast to do the same thing in, in consecutive games. Yeah. It's always been to do something different, whether it's to, you know, you counter a spell and you want to steal it, or you want to protect your own spell but still get it to resolve. There's so many different ways that people keep re making Narset's Reversal happen. I don't think we've actually figured out how many different ways you could cast it. Um, whether like somebody you know plays a an alters rebeam or something silly, oh yes, I will let you sacrifice that thing so that I can draw the cards, and then you can have to <laughs> sacrifice something else later on to still draw your cards. Or say you just want to save something, like oh you're gonna win the game with this spell, um, you're at least gonna buy yourself a turn. You're gonna bounce it back to their hand. You're gonna get it for yourself, and you're gonna it buys you at least a turn to wait for them to have to resolve it again. Um, there's so much flexibility with Narcissus Reversal. I don't think. I, I can't tell what it was intended for, but I also can't really tell what people are using it for because it's so all over the place. It's such a fantastic card. Super terrific. And, and you know what? As long as we're talking about instant speed blue spells and Dana, you pointed out draw spells. I think we also got to pour one out here for uh, Blue Sun Zenith as well. Blue Sun Zenith for triple blue and X target player draws X cards. This is usually a thing that you point at yourself because you want to draw, you know, five cards, 10 cards, something like that. 
I have absolutely used Blue Sun Zenith for lethal on opponents before because I make someone else draw 100 cards and they can't do that, they run out completely. So I totally recommend also for decks, especially if you're playing mill decks, like packing your deck with some of these Blue Sun Zenithy type of effects where target player draws cards is not just a thing that you can use to refresh your own hand. It's the type of thing that you can actually use as part of your kill condition. Like turning your card advantage sources also into win conditions, that is so gross and so so good and it's going to be amazing when it happens. I mean, anytime that you've been drawn out like that, it's just like Blue Sun Zenith targeting me for 100, I'm going to remember that game. Like, oh man, it's so super fun. Yeah, I would dare say I've, I've perhaps seen Blue Sun Zenith, particularly in the last few years, more often cast as a way to kill somebody than I have actually cast as a draw spell. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Wow. Well, so I'm going to take this conversation and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial it to 11. So we've been talking about a lot of cards that people are using in, in maybe some unintended ways. I know a whole mechanic that does that. So Goad, I know everybody here, all three of us, were particularly excited when we saw Goad. Oh, this is a cool way to force combat. Mm. Uh, maybe, you know, gets your opponents to beat up on each other a little bit. Nobody ever talks about the fact that it's basically the best red fog we have. <laughs> Not only does it make your opponents beat up on each other, but it's a great way just to dodge combat for yourself. If you're sitting at a low life total, you can disrupt decorum and you know that you're going to get an entire turn cycle around and people aren't going to be able to attack you. And that's, it's such a fantastic mechanic because, I mean, Joey, you have a goad deck. And the nice part about it for you, at least, is you're forcing other people to attack each other so you get to be around and you can maybe play a slower game plan because you know people are incentivized to attack each other instead of you. Very much. And in fact, one of the things I've been strongly considering for my Goad deck, which is my Karazikar deck, um, is something that was influenced by the previous version that I had uh, for it, which was also Red Black Goad. But like, it, it did kind of occur to me that like, hey, this isn't just a form of forced combat, which is I think the main thing that we you know think of when we see cards that have that Goad effect. It is just like a way to sow a little bit of chaos maybe is the general impression. But no, it's super defensive. And one of the things I've been considering so much is, do I put like a bunch of Planeswalkers into this deck? Because by making everyone point at each other, by forcing my opponents to all attack each other, I'm also simultaneously pointing away from myself. They can't attack planeswalkers that I control if their creatures are goaded repeatedly. And that means I could actually have some little bit of super friends synergy going on in those goad decks. And that's just a really interesting interplay, I think, going on with this. Like, it looks like kind of just a chaotic effect that's sowing a little bit of, of discord and stuff like that. But no, it actually might be hiding a completely nefarious agenda where you're just taking up your planeswalkers over and over again. And there's nothing that they can do about it because one of the big ways that they would deal with planeswalkers is to attack them. And we're not letting them do that because their stuff is goaded. So yeah, this is a, a really fun, interesting uh, mechanic to to try and find some extra spicy stuff with. And uh, Matt, I'm totally with you there. One category uh, of cards I'm kind of a fan of in general is um, offensive combat buffs that you tend to think of in terms of buffing your own creatures, but that don't necessarily have to do that. Um, Duelist Heritage is kind of an obvious one where you can give an attacking creature double, double, double strike. Well, usually you put it in deck thinking in terms of I want to give, you know, my Voltron creature or my big beater commander double strike, but it's an attacking creature. It doesn't, it's not limited to your turn. You can do it and, and probably should many times do it on other players' turns. Hey, if you hit this player, I will give your commander double strike. It's, it's something that, um, can be used politically. It can be used as a way to take out somebody in the lead by, you know, kind of teaming up with, with somebody else who's behind. Um, 
But there's also instant speed effects like this. Tainted Strike is is a relatively heavily played way to give an attacking creature. In fact, <laughs> they, again, you're usually planning on using on your own creature, but you don't have to. There's plenty of times somebody else swings at an opponent with a creature that's able to be dealt lethal with a Tainted Strike. You can just help them along. So they go from taking you know 10 or 11 to just dying to poison. And the last one here, I think, that falls in this category, it's a little expensive these days, but Berserk is, number one, an amazing card for one green mana that's going to double the damage a creature deals. Again, you're usually planning on using it for an Alpha Strike on your own creature, but you can also use it as an Alpha Strike when someone else's creature is swinging at an opponent, and it has the added utility of then killing that creature after it deals the damage. Just a fantastic card that can be used simultaneously offensively and defensively to hit somebody else and get rid of a threat. So I'm a fan of those kind of buffs that can be um, used on not only your own creatures, but anyone else's creatures. See, Dana, I I don't think that this is like unusual strategies because A... I don't think you've ever used, at least I've never seen it, you've never used Berserk on your own creatures. This is <laughs> right. strictly. That might be true. Thank you. Th- this is strictly a, a, a political combat thing that you're doing, and you're never using it on your own creatures. So, like, you don't use it. For, it doesn't count if you don't never use it yourself for the intended purpose. I, I will definitely say the, the, the one <laughs> deck where I run Tainted Strike, I can say for certain the last three times I've cast it has been on someone else's creature. I, I and and the someone else's creature is the creature that's attacking me because I've been on the receiving end of every single one of them. Thank you for bringing that up, Matt, because I feel the same way. But you're right, Dana. Those are cool synergies. I just feel like you did intend those ones. <laughs> well, sure. Um, here, here's a, a cool thing that Matt had brought up um, in a previous uh, episode, though, and that was um, some interesting stuff going on with the card Entrapment Maneuver. And I think I'll also mention the card Ether Spouts as an addendum to this as well. So Entrapment Maneuver is that uh, four mana white instant that says target uh, play a sacrifices an attacking creature and then you make a bunch of tokens for the power of the creature that was sacrificed and ether spouts is that amazing card that says that each attacking creature will have to go to the top or to the bottom of its owner's library and those are really cool spells that we traditionally associate with being defensive if someone is attacking us then we can just use those to get rid of some creatures and get some maybe extra benefits for ourselves but matt a cool synergy that you pointed out about the entrapment maneuver is the fact that you can still use those spells after damage has been dealt, but in the end of combat step, when those creatures are still considered to be attacking creatures. So if an opponent, like Dana, for example, is attacking another one of your opponents, then you can wait for Dana to deal the damage and then cast the Ether Spouts or the Entrapment Maneuver and then wreck Dana's day. So both of your opponents get a little bit screwed. You let the damage happen to the other person and then you still manage to use the effect that is going to just wind up completely Uno reverse carding on the attacking player so that you get a bunch of extra benefit you can wait until the damage has been dealt and use those in the end of combat step and that is some tricky stuff that i totally love you for dude yeah i mean there's a lot of interactions folks think that as soon as damage is dealt combat's over that's not the case there there is a combat cleanup step basically where you can still do some effects um yes you can do this with stuff like yeah uh, Entrapment Maneuver, you can do it with Aether Spouts or Aether Eyes, whichever version you're preferring. Uh, another one people can also use it for is Maze of Ith. You're able to kind of get one of your own creatures out of combat or somebody else's and you're fogging it, you're creating blockers. Like there's a lot of different stuff you can do with Maze of Ith too. Right, because Maze of Ith would 
untap an attacking creature and remove it from combat, but you can do that after the damage has already been dealt. So you could use it on your own creature if you wanted to. I attack you with my Voltron, and then after damage has been dealt, if I want my Voltron commander to be untapped, to give it pseudo-vigilance, you could actually untap your own creature, remove it from combat in the end of combat step after it's already done its stuff, and then you've got your blocker back instead of keeping up the maze in case you that is a thing that you want to do. Yeah, that that is a really cool... I like that trick too, Matt. See, you're clever. Your onboard tricks are very interesting there. I mean, I uh, as a connoisseur of the combat step, I, I think I might know a thing or two about different tricks and whatnot. But yes, I, I, I appreciate you, uh, your, your compliments there. Very appreciated. You're, you're so welcome. L let's see, what about this other example then? Here's one that I think you and I both really vibe on, and that's the card Mirror Entity, because um, this is a very fascinating one. Mirror Entity is that amazing creature that lets you pay X to turn all of your creatures into base power XX and also gain all creature types until end of turn. And Matt, this is a card that I know you and I have both used to pump up a board full of tokens to move into the combat step, and they're no longer 1-1s one with flying, they're now like 5-5s five with flying or 7-7s seven with flying and you just totally demolish an opponent by pumping them up with this excellent excellent card so i know that's the reason that you and i both really like it but another reason that i kind of sometimes have reason to like a mirror entity is also because you can pay zero into that x effect so if you really want to an unexpected synergy that you can pull off with mirror entity is to pay zero to sacrifice your entire board by turning all of your creatures into zero zeros and you might want to do this for example if you've got an aristocrat strategy where you know all of those death triggers would make your opponents lose just a butt ton of life or for example if you're playing an atla palani deck Atla Palani loves to see egg creatures die, and Mirror Entity would turn all of your creatures into 0-0 eggs, and then also they would die, and Atla Palani would trigger a whole bunch of times to get you even spicier creatures onto the battlefield. So there are some really awesome tricks that you can pull off with this one creature that initially just looks like a pump-up effect, but actually can do a whole bunch of work for you. Well, but as a pump effect, it's still really good. So it's not like this is one of those cards where, <laughs> yeah. where, you, where we were suggesting you run it just for the like weird interaction. It's a great spell on its own. The weird interaction just makes it that much better. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're trying to reinvent the wheel here, Joey. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, it's the best thing since bread. Wonder Kids, but Wonder Kids, it's, it's not the same. I, I was trying to connect with you there, my dude. I, I, I appreciate the spell. effort. But I, 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 oh, I... I mean, you'd have to be running a very specific deck in my mind to be to be mirror entitying your team for zero. But if that's the way that you're going to cut the jib, then uh, then go for it. I will totally, I've got Mirror Entity in my Thalese Reverent Medium deck, makes a ton of tokens, and right. my Nadir's Nightblade, if it sees all those tokens die because I turn them into zero zeros, my Nadir's Nightblade will deal a lot of damage to enemies. And heck, I could even use this as a way to avoid you playing a mob rule on me, for example. If you're trying to take control of my whole board sure. and you know use it to twist it against me and attack me with my own creatures, I could pay zero to avoid that. I have no creatures anymore. I sacrificed them all, but I did prevent you from killing me. And there's some cool twists uses that you can find there too, where it is actually the correct move to get rid of your own stuff instead of pumping them up. And I just think that's a cool thing to keep in mind with cards like these. Okay, I am warming up to this. Uh, somebody casts a Decree of Pain, for example, you activate this for zero. Uh, <laughs> they don't get to draw the cards from your creatures dying because they already died before Decree of Pain happened. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, there, there, there's there's a lot of different play around it. I, I'm, I'm warming up. There we go, there we go. I'm glad that you finally came around. So in recent history, the, the example of a card that kind of shines out um, for being, I guess, secretly modal here is Settle the Wreckage. Uh, two white, white, exile all attacking creature target player controls. 
and that player may search his or her library for that many basic land cards, uh, put them in a play tapped, and shuffle his or her library. That's a devastating card when someone does an alpha strike that they're assuming is going to kill you. Um, here, take some lands. I'm going to kill you next turn anyway. <laughs> but if, if you are playing a, a token deck or a deck that where you know you're going to get bored up anyway, the ability to just ramp out the absolute bottom of your deck with <laughs> in white is fantastic, particularly if you're in a deck that has a bunch of disposable tokens. Um, you can just launch yourself so far ahead with this particular card in colors that usually don't have the ability to do that. Um, it's crazy as a as a defensive tool and as an offensive tool. Settle the wreckage, targeting yourself to go and get a bazillion basics into play. Yeah, um, that's not the type of thing that I expect you to do with the Settle the Wreckage, but when you do it, I'm going to be extraordinarily scared about what's following it up. That is very spicy. But also, make sure you do it after combat damage has been dealt. Right. Yes, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> oh, we're, we're doing it, we're doing it. Uh, but yes, I, Dana, you're absolutely right. I, I think Tomer from the, uh, the MTG mm -hmm. Goldfish crew, um, I think he absolutely broke the, the whole Twitterverse for a couple days when he suggested this, and he's like, oh... Oh, we 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 got there. Like, yeah, we got there, fam. Um, yeah, this, this is such a great pick. There's just there's a million just secretly modal cards out there that just you find some little corner case out there that it, nobody ever thought of, but then in the right situation, it's just going to be absolutely just value town for you. Yeah, this is such a fascinating topic. Dana, thanks again so much for suggesting it because it's so cool to see these weird intricacies and these things that you didn't even know the cards were actually capable of doing. Like these, wait, this card can do what now? Like those moments are so fascinating to see and you'll really just always remember those. They make such resonant and impactful moments in gameplay. I mean, heck, you guys, this is an episode where you legitimately got me to admit that I play Graveyard Hate against myself sometimes. Like, I use Bajookabog on myself to trigger Conrad a bunch of times. Like, I, I think I'm becoming my own worst enemy, but, like, ooh, I, I need to do some soul-searching. You guys got me to play Graveyard Hate against myself. I mean... I, I feel weird admitting it. Joey, everyone knows that your own worst enemy or becoming my own worst enemy, that's that's like a 90s song, so I, I don't think you are privy to, to saying that. Uh, Dana, you probably can verify, though. 90s one-hit wonder band <laughs> Lit, I believe, uh, had their breakthrough that song. So Joey Joey yes. here on the show admitting he's a big Lit fan. Yes, there it is. All, all, all those Seattleites are just so, so upset with you, Joey. <laughs> I am a little bit lost. I was trying to do some connection with you guys, some, a little bit of soul searching. So are we. Um, so are we. <laughs> Yeah, but this was super fun, really interesting, and it's really cool to examine your decks this closely and to see the different things that they've got going on. So listeners, we would love for you to tell us about your favorite interesting, weird synergies that go on. There's probably a whole bunch out there that we didn't even mention, but we'd really love from here from uh, love to hear from you about those different things going on in your decks too. Please feel free to share them with us. It is super, super cool. But hey, I think for now, we should probably wrap up this episode and call it to a close. So fellas, thanks again so much for joining me. And if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, where we have guests on every single week. The games are always a super fun time, so make sure you tune in. Um, the community is so great. And we're just very happy we get to play games with other folks in this community. 
And Dana. You can find me uh, on the other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck <laughs> <laughs>